Hello there, my name is Shirley Fisher and I'm an illustrator, creative business owner, and mom of two. I've been slowly growing from a part-time creator to a full-time working artist since 2016, so I know the joy and struggle of working for yourself and how mindset can impact your growth. It's here where we dig deep through vulnerable chats about running a creative business and uprooting our limiting beliefs. My hope is that you walk away from these conversations feeling empowered with a greater sense of clarity and community. So find a cozy spot, open up your heart, and prepare to be encouraged. Welcome to the Tillage Podcast. If you're a creative entrepreneur, you know you need fantastic images for your brand and business. But maybe you've never worked with a photographer or you feel uncomfortable being in front of a camera. Surface pattern designer and educator Ashley Paggi believes that your story matters and that your brand photography is just as important as your logo, your fonts, and even your products. Brand photography is one way to level up your brand presence and connect with the right customers. Ashley's brand photo bootcamp will help you be inspired and confident knowing exactly how you can level up your creative business with gorgeous brand photos that are website, social media, sales page, and even magazine ready. She is here to tell you her secrets for how to plan ahead to capture enough imagery for a year or two in one photo shoot with a photographer. This bootcamp is going to be gold for you to level up your business. Registration opens up today and the bootcamp takes place on Wednesday, June 7th from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific time on Zoom. And if you can't make it live, no worries. There'll be a replay available. Register today with the link in the description of this episode or head on over to the tillagepodcast.com for the link in today's show notes. Hi, Meg. Thank you so much for coming on the Tillage Podcast. We are going to have such an incredible conversation today. Before we jump into our topic, though, I would love for you to share your story and kind of what medium you work in and how you got into running your art business. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to share my journey in the hopes that maybe it will help somebody along their own creative path. Like you said, my name is Meg Indy. I'm an abstract artist living here in New York City, which is something I never would have believed you if you told me that this would be my life. Like (laughs) eight years ago, I would have said absolutely not. I grew up down South in Augusta, Georgia, and matriculated to the Georgia Institute of Technology, which as you can imagine, is like such a far cry from the path that I'm on right now. Uh, But when I was in school, actually, my mom sent me back with a watercolor set. Like imagine those watercolor sets you get in kindergarten with like the yellow (laughs) bottom. That was what I had in my dorm. And I... I've always been a creative spirit, but you know, when something just feels kind of natural to you, you almost like don't give it like too much attention. So I always created, but when I had this set, I feel like I clung to it because Georgia Tech was so hard. My extracurriculars were so much like professional life was creeping up on me. So at the end of my work day or my school day, I just fully like went into this creative space with this watercolor set. And I started off making these little postcard size paintings. In fact, of some of my favorite childhood memories, it was like my happy space. I felt like I was recreating 
like the happiest times of my life to pull me through those final years of school. And then like anything, people saw it. They were like, oh, if you can make this, can you make that for my mom? And next thing I knew, I was receiving creative briefs from my peers. And I'm (laughs) out at Michael's buying materials that I was loosely familiar with. I've never been formally trained. I'm self-taught. But I went from these like teensy tiny little doodles and watercolor paintings to large abstract pieces that were going in people's homes. And before graduation, I had paintings that I was shipping to Tel Aviv. Like we just exploded. Yeah, we were sending things to people left and right across the country. And I had a full roster of clients. To me, I didn't see it that way, though. I was like, oh, God, I have so many paintings to make for friends and their moms. (laughs) But you take a step back and you're like, okay, Megan, like this was a bit of a business. So I graduated. I did the thing to do, which was get a normal nine to five corporate job in downtown Atlanta. But my escape and where I felt the happiest was after hours painting in my living room. And it got to a point, surely, about six months in, I was like, I am called to do this. This Hmm. lights me on fire. I'm so excited. And I felt like I was making waves in the world in a way that felt most natural to my spirit. So that was that. It happened almost instantaneously. I called my mom. She was like, sounds good. I was like, we're quitting. I waitressed for long enough in my earlier years and nanny that I had a bit of a nest egg to really just do a swan dive into the unknown. So fast forward. I started doing mostly large abstract pieces. I work with interior designers. We've had such an evolution in my style, but that's really just been over the last, God, I think I've had this career for going on five or six years. It has been a journey of me peeling back all the layers. I like added on to my persona and getting back to the root, which is this like childlike wonderment I have for the world around me. And if you were to look at my work today, that is exactly what you're going to see. So now I live in New York, I paint full time, and it has been my greatest joy. Well, first of all, I am so thankful for you that you had such support from family. And I love this vision of your swan dive like into (laughs) doing this full time. And just what you closed on, like this childlike wonder that you have for approaching your work and the world around you. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm really excited to hear your perspective on this. So for you, what does that look like for you? And can you share what you believe finding one's inner child is? If someone's new to hearing this concept, they're like, what the heck is she talking about? (laughs) Absolutely. So I feel like as adults, we carry every age with us. Like every season, every year of life that we've lived, we, we carry it within us, whether we know it or not. And I feel like your inner child is that essence and that spirit from an earlier time in your life when you didn't have roles to play by, you fully followed your curiosity. I mean, if you are listening to this podcast and you have children, you know how toddlers just taught around anything that catches their eye. They're fully invested. They're exploring it. They're getting their hands messy. And one thing that I have found as a creative entrepreneur with colleagues in this space is oftentimes, for instance, I know somebody who's a baker 
and you say, gosh, how did you get into this? And they'll say, funny thing. When I was a kid, I loved baking. You know, um, my husband, I love this story. He's not a creative. He is a consultant and a very square guy. He's awesome. <laughs> I love him. And his mom has a story where they had a a book of matchbook cars. Like, I don't know what they're called, but they're like these mini collectible cars his grandfather owned. So he had the book and they had the cars in a box and he would go through the book. He'd find the picture. He'd find the car and say, look, it's the same. And he enjoyed that. And now he does like data analytics and he looks for patterns. And I'm like, that's what you did when you were a kid. (laughs) That's what you love. And for me, when I was little, I was the creative queen. My mom had one of those big boxes. We used to call it the Barney box for my 90s kids. Yes! Yes! (laughs) Sorry, I don't know why that got me so excited, but it was like, oh my gosh, the Barney box. I totally remember. You know why? It's because your inner child just heard that word. Yes! That is why. You're like, "Ah," you know. That was my favorite part of the show. the best. And so we had a box with everything you can imagine. It was like crayons, pom-poms, stickers, glue, a total mess. It was amazing. And my mom gave us so much freedom and time. She'd like throw the box on the kitchen table and say, have fun. And that is where I really learned to get creative. And that was my happy space. And over the years, you know, especially I feel like early 2000s kids, we were really put into this pigeonhole of STEM. I feel like STEM was like all the rage and there was so much distraction with that. Like if you weren't a STEM kid, you felt so much shame and this is what you should be really, you know, putting all your eggs in this basket. Uh, I just feel like a lot of us may have lost that childlike wonderment, their love for the Barney box because you were raised thinking, okay, that's great, but you should be focusing here. And I know for me, I kind of went through that journey of, focusing on all these other things that I felt societal pressure to do, or maybe I felt that there was safety in this because everyone else is doing it. And so as far as your childlike spirit, it is figuring out where you are today and slowly walking it back to finding the thing that makes you excited that you can lose yourself in for hours. Like, whoa, where did the time go? I've been collaging <laughs> for the last two hours. It's just finding those things that make you tick that brought you joy when there was nothing else on the table or anything else that mattered. It's so true how who we are today and if we've leaned into and tapped into our childlike wonder, those things tend to align like your husband. You could say like, oh, wow, that was in his wiring at that age. I have a friend and we've laughed so much about this, but her son would sit in the bathtub with all of these like animals and he would line them up from smallest to largest at the age of like two. And she's like, this is so weird. But that's that was his thing. He loved organizing things. And he's still like that. And he's like in kindergarten or first grade. And I just look at who we were and our wiring is so ever present. But we tend to drift away from that in adulthood. And I did get very excited about that Barney box because that was literally my favorite part of the show. And I also can see creativity and interest in art from the very beginning of my life. Like that's always been a part of my life. So if someone's sitting here, they're like, oh, wow, I am way off track or I'm not connected to that. I know you kind of talked about it a little bit, but can you give us more depth into what that experience has been like for you tapping into it? And if someone doesn't know how to really do that, how can they really get connected with that earlier part of themselves? Oh, this question I love because 
this has completely changed my life. So there's this book, I'm sure you're familiar with it, called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And one of the things that she recommends is something called The Artist's Date. Now, before I explain it, this is something that I have unconsciously been doing for myself for a very long time. And I would love to maybe give some examples. But for somebody who is unfamiliar with it, it is setting aside a chunk of time throughout your week that is protected from everything. No friends can join you, spouse, kids. It is you completely alone with no distractions. Ideally, there's no monetary exchange and there's no watchful eyes of like social media. It is really just you in a little bubble exploring your joy. Now, the nice thing about this artist state is she challenges you to write out like a list of things that remotely catch your interest. So for me on my list, when I started this, it was like rollerblading, I love fashion. So it's like walking through the stores in my neighborhood and taking note of my favorite cuts of cloth or colorways that I noticed hanging on the racks. Someone might consider taking an an art class, a painting class, um, a cooking class, you name it. And the reason why I love this approach is not everybody knows what their inner child really liked. Sometimes people's childhood looked different. You know, I can't speak for people. There's some people out there still seeking that childlike experience. So what I love is, yes, I knew that I liked painting, but I didn't pigeonhole myself to only do painting related activities. In fact, all of my artist states were anything but painting. I wanted to really understand the breadth of my creativity. And it's so interesting, the offshoots I've had in my personal work (laughs) because of these dates. So for instance, you know, I love earrings. Um, I actually took my big old earrings off to do this podcast because they're like in the way. I love statement jewelry. I also love treasure hunts. I've always enjoyed finding little bits of treasure. My granny B was the same way. She always had like knickknacks in her pocket. She'd pick off of the street. So anyways, we were on vacation. I still had my artist date set. And I was like, all right, everyone leave me alone. I'm going to go look for treasure. And I'm walking the beach and I'm finding sea glass. I'm finding, honestly, it was just like washed up trash from the ocean, but there were beautiful bits of color. And so I collected all of these and would you believe it? My following artist date, I was like, I want to tinker around with the things that I found. I made earrings, huge statement earrings out of this beach trash. It was like one of my favorite things I did. It eventually made its way into my work. I sold a whole collection of these, but when When would you ever sit down and be like, hey, let's go collect trash and make earrings out of it? (laughs) Literally never, right? (laughs) It just was, it was so wild. So I think my recommendation for anybody, A, read the artist's way. B, if you just, you know, want to skip ahead to the good stuff, set aside time during your week, no distractions, turn your phone off. Don't even take pictures or videos. Social media puts so much pressure to give you like a picturesque experience outside of your home. And just go play, whatever that looks like to you. Have fun. I mean, that's, I think that's like at its core, you making space for your inner child to find a playground, whatever that may be, and giving them time to actually go explore. The trickiest thing about this day and age, like a new wave of artists, is I feel like corporate America and the cadence of that life is so omnipresent. You know, it's, productivity equals dollar amount. And I feel as though we've completely lost the way of life of artists of decades past. People went 
away for weeks to just glean inspiration, not even to start painting. And they would make their life's work. Whereas now it's like, oh, if I doodle this, how can I monetize something and make a quick buck? You know, and I think we even, we think in terms of a nine to five, I get really stressed out at the end of my month. I used to not so much anymore. I actually had, I had to change something. Hopefully this is helpful for somebody, but I use this accounting system that at the end of the month, it tells me how much I made that month. And just in the last year or two, my husband's like, why do you do that? Because then you feel this, like you're working in monthly cycles He's like, you might need to switch that to how much you make in a year. So you only get updates like at the end of the year or every six months, because the way that I was working and the way I think I make my most authentic work is when I do not take commissions, I clear my schedule and my last collection is Joie de Vivre. I worked on that for three months. There was no outside distraction, no money coming in. And then we did the launch, we did the big reveal, the exchange happened then, and then that was it. I would never have made my favorite body of work if I was working within a nine to five monthly schedule. I needed to have that time and space to make ugly work, to make honest work, to rest. That was a huge part of it. I mean, art is incredibly physical. Like your arms will get so toned (laughs) when you're standing up there painting. But I just, sometimes I get sad. I think so many people transition almost too quickly from possibly corporate into art. I think they need to give themselves permission to rethink the way that they live their lives so that they can basically live a life worth painting. Wow. There's a lot there because I think when it comes to art, we often sit down and if we are a working artist, it's like we're creating to produce something to monetize it. So there's either pressure there, there isn't a lot of room to play. You're either in scramble mode, like me often, where you're like, oh, I have this deadline, I have to get this done. And we skip the whole phase like you're talking about, which is playing and exploring. And honestly, finding that childlike space like you're talking about is actually tapping into inspiration because what you created from that sea glass was inspiring, which then found its way into your work. So I love that because when I think about my own work that I'm super proud of, it actually stemmed from walks with my daughter when she was like two. Dandelions make their way into my work a lot. And it's because it reminds me of my childhood. I loved dandelions. My daughter loves dandelions. And so I think that there's so much meat there about finding that inspiration So what does that look like when you're producing a collection or a piece of work? How do you intentionally invite that inner child into that experience? My first step is I allow myself to make an absolute mess. And I've heard somebody say this before. They're like, artists need the permission to make ugly art. And that is something that I absolutely love. So For instance, I have a collection I'm working on right now. I knew I wanted it to be like maybe 10 or 20 canvases worth of work. So I bought more. And those first few canvases, I was like, (laughs) all right, let's, you know, make an absolute mess. And I think that's really important because it forces me out of my rigidity. And I'm no longer thinking of the end result. Like you said earlier, like I think we're always thinking about like the monetization But you have to stop thinking of the end result that's going to sell and you need to find your present joy. 
that is what people love when they look at artwork. They glean the process. I think so often people are like, oh, it's the end result. I'm like, no, people can literally feel your energy infused in every single piece of work. And I actually had to introduce these. I call them the willies. (laughs) It's so silly to say out loud as an adult, but I have to get the willies out because the time I started doing a collection before I made a mess, I could feel these really structured, tight movements in my work. I'm like, ew, that looks and feels like a woman who's afraid of scrutiny at the end of this collection. This does not look like a woman having fun. This does not look like a woman exploring herself. And so now it is actually part of my routine. Get the extra paper, get the extra canvases, go make an absolute mess. Know you're going to burn it when you're done. Have so much fun, explore your colors, and then ease into it. I love that. And it's so true. If you can feel it in your artwork, someone else will. And you can know when you pushed yourself in this little box. And I have experienced that, especially when designing holiday collections. They're not my favorite. And it's something I have to do. But for me, it doesn't ever produce something that I'm extremely proud of because to me, holiday already is so rigid with what people expect. And so I can feel that even in my own work in that genre. Is that so interesting? Like it really is a reflection. And I have to say the biggest shift in my work happened because of COVID. And at the time it was so confusing. I was working in my parents' house, which is actually, I never thought about the symbolism, but I was working in the basement where my mom's Barney box was. I didn't even (laughs) think about this. I was in our craft room in the basement. And I think I had that thought, you know, I was an artist for maybe two or three years I had under my belt. And I actually thought to myself, well, the world's ending. My business is probably going under. Might as well just have some fun. And I had this season of like, I don't want to be crude, but I truly was like, F it. Let's just make a mess. And that is actually, if you were to go back to my archives, you will see a huge shift in my work. Because all of a sudden, I tapped into that childlike, I guess, mindset. And honestly, I think it was a self-preservation mode because I was just so uneasy, you know, in our global situation that here I was locked in the basement, no windows, there isn't even internet connection. So I truly was so isolated (laughs) with the Barney box having a blast. I made Happy Mail, which was postcard size mini abstracts with pre-stamped letters so people can send it to their loved ones. I was using colors that I used to not think were quote unquote sellable because people love certain colors for their home. And I no longer was thinking about the end result. I was truly thinking about how can I pacify this nervous spirit of mine? And it was a beautiful, beautiful season. We'll be back after this short break. I'm curious, how did you find out about the Tillage podcast? Chances are you found this little nook of the internet because someone told you about it. Maybe you're like Susie, who wrote a review saying, I was referred to this podcast from a friend and found so much I could resonate with as a creative entrepreneur and a mom. I love how positive and empowering these episodes are, and I love the work that you are doing. Sharing about the podcast is a wonderful way to help your fellow creative entrepreneur friends in their journey. 
Can you help me out by sharing your love for the Tillage podcast? It's really easy. Post your favorite episode on Instagram and your stories, text an episode to a friend, or share about it on your newsletter. Thank you so much for getting the word out and listening to the Tillage podcast. Now back to the show. I think a lot of people's experience in quarantine or during that time, at least from even a business side of things, was really interesting because I think a lot of people had to pivot and they had to be creative and they had to think, what can I do now to not only create a service or to tap into new things? I just, I saw a lot of creatives really shift and do different things during that time. And I think you bring up a really good point is that our emotion is so attached to our work. And so in that season, it was just like, no restraints. Like you said, pacify, just get it all out there. And there's beauty to when we allow ourselves to feel everything, because that really does show in our work, the good and the ugly. But I love that you talk about that. So we're going to segue because here you were in the basement with the Barney box with your parents. And that has to be a very like familiar place, comfortable place. And like you mentioned, everything was unleashed. But now you're living in New York, so you have definitely changed scenery, environment, and just a different pace, I'm assuming. So for you to tap into your inner child there, how has that shifted to a new environment where I'm going to assume living in New York City, there's so much going at you with just the buzz of it all. How do you still tap into your inner child in such a like sensory overload type of space? Mm, That is such a great question because if you've ever been to New York, it can be sensory overload. I feel like I have trained myself, honestly, because I am so (laughs) hopelessly optimistic. I have a very positive outlook on life. I think I've trained my eye to only focus on the good You know, like you could be standing on the subway platform looking at the rats, like eating down (laughs) by like the rails, or you can listen to the incredible street performer that's playing 10 feet from you and let their music truly transport you. In fact, something that I have started doing to help me stay present in the moment and find beauty as I'm moving through the city is I write poems all the time. So that is actually something that I pulled from an artist state. I was like, I love haikus. I'm going to sit down and write some haikus. And actually to this day, I jokingly call them Meg coups because. Oh, I love that. mm -hmm. So what I do is I do four words, then I write six words, and then I write two words, which, oh gosh, I can talk so much about this. Jeez, where to go? But basically it forces me to note something with four words expand on its beauty with the six and then bring it right back down to its essence. In fact, that's a really great practice for anyone that needs help naming pieces. A lot of my pieces are those final two words of a Meg coup that I will use. So I've been training my eye. I write a lot of poetry and I find my nooks that bring me joy. A lot of people ask me about the nightlife in New York, to be completely honest, like we don't really indulge in it too much. Because I've realized that my inner child loves daytime activities and I love the morning. So I am more likely to wake up and go get a chocolate croissant and a coffee 
and go to a farmer's market and look at flowers than I am to be out until like 3 a.m., which I'm sure that's yeah. better. <laughs> Same. Right? And that's just, I think I am really, I'm like very unashamed in the things that make me happy. And I don't necessarily subscribe to the, hey, you're in this age range in New York City, you should be doing these activities. No, I just find activities that make me really happy. Like we biked for an entire day through Brooklyn once. That was so much fun. And then you mentioned going on walks with your daughter. I love walking. And at least once a day, I will walk around the block. There's so much to see. From my art estate, again, I go into every store. I touch cloth. I look at colorways. I take notes of it all and bring that back with me into my studio. I do whatever I can to fill up my cup, make me really happy. And then whenever you receive a Meg Indy piece, you are truly collecting a piece of my joy that I collected very intentionally that day and then translate it into color. So those are kind of my go-tos in New York. And it's been incredible to be in such a busy, hectic place and to say that I have found my peace. Oh, I want to tap into something a little bit deeper if you're open to it. So you talked about, I am not ashamed for what I like and tapping into my inner child. And even if it doesn't necessarily match what people assume that you should be liking or be interested in in your adult years, whatever that looks like, I think some people just hold back. Like you mentioned rollerblading. Okay, cool. But sometimes people are like, oh, well, if someone knew that I rollerbladed at the age of whatever, they would think this of me. So for you, how have you embraced the things that you just truly love no matter what? So I actually need to run it back to when I first quit my job. Because I had up until that point made so many decisions that were not for me, but for other people. And I thought I was supposed to be doing that. I actually found myself at a spiritual low. Like I really wasn't myself. I think my friends, my family could feel it. And it was because I was making little decisions that didn't embrace my true freedom. So when I quit my job, before I started painting full time, I actually took a month off and I really meditated over what makes me happy. Like what truly brings me joy. I think I felt the effects of what my life is when I don't make decisions for only myself, that I actually was in such a desperate place to now only make decisions for myself. I started dressing differently. I started talking differently. I stopped listening to some music. Like there's some music out there where everyone loves, but I'm like, whoop, that's a little offensive. Like that's aggressive, you know, but you don't understand like the tunes, the words, the the cinema that you consume because everyone else is doing it. And now I knew I have something worthwhile to protect. So I don't even see rollerblading or anything as like a fun offshoot. I see that as me protecting my very essence. I need to do those things to garden my soul. Like I, I need that water. I need that refreshment so that I can blossom most organically. I can even give you a few examples. For instance, there's different realms of artistry and that may look different. There was, there are, there is (laughs) this one realm, I will say, where it's like, the late night gallery shows and like maybe casually dipping into some recreational things. And that's just not my spirit. You know, for me, I want to meet my clients 
at a cute cafe wearing beautiful clothes and I want to dream and I just want to like look at their eyes and like soak up their story. I know this sounds real lush, but this is who I am and I love this stuff. So what would it look like to tailor my entire business around that? You know? So I think it takes a lot of self-discipline. I think making vision boards, they sound woo-woo, but it's not. It's just making you physically see in front of you what you want your life to look like and then aligning your decisions to it. And then I think you have to see it as dramatic as this is, but your life's work depends on it, on these tiny little decisions, the music you listen to, the people you hang out with, the way you speak to yourself in the morning. It all plays into one narrative and it comes out in your business. It comes out in your artwork. It comes out in the way you speak to your spouse and the ones that you love. So I think that's really what it is. I no longer see it as like silly, fun decisions, but I see it as a way of life. And that has helped be my North Star, I would say. So I'm going to like re-listen to that portion of this podcast like every day (laughs) because that was just this perfect, beautiful representation of really what we all hope and dream to aspire to be in ourselves, but also as an artist, because when we are off track, and I will say that I am a mom, I'm a mom of two, and I think it's really common for a lot of moms to lose themselves at some mm-hmm. level. If they're not careful, you kind of go through the motions and you forget, what do I like? Who is that mm-hmm. person? Who was I? Who am I today? And we can get really busy and forget to tap into all the beauty that's around us. So I think that's just a beautiful perspective that every single thing that we do will make its way into what we create. It's just a natural progression. Exactly. And what I love is people's journeys are different, right? Like when I was talking about the different like art communities that you can tap into, there is something for everyone out there but I feel like some people may only see one form of like, like for you, for instance, okay, you're a mom. That's incredible. And you have two little babies. Like, I wonder if you ever look at somebody who lives in LA or New York and you're like, that's maybe what I should be doing. Like, that's what artistry is. No, it's not. There's so many like art communities to tap into and it looks different. There's different speeds, there's different expression. And that's, I think what I am always advocating with my mentees is it is what you make of it. And if there's not a community, build it. You know, there is something for everyone owning businesses. It's not for people in their twenties with no kids only. You can be starting something new until the day that you die. Like it is available to you and your journey is unique and beautiful just as everyone else's. So <laughs> That's like my soapbox moment. I'm like, you don't need to be anywhere but here. We need you here. Oh my gosh. It's like a mic drop moment. <laughs> so I want to talk about too, if this is something that's all around us, it's pouring into us, it's pouring into our work. And it's really built upon, like you were talking about, experiences that we're being intentional about seeking out. But for you, how do you create play for your creative practice and just even the way that you create environment in your own studio. Mm. Creating an environment's really, really essential. And I have a, a physical studio now, but back when I was in college, it used to be my dorm room. Then it was my shared living room. 
And I think it's one of those things, especially if you live with other people, you communicate your needs and say, Hey, like this Thursday afternoon, can I have this shared space to, you know, explore, do my thing. Now I have a door that shuts. That's amazing. That has helped my psyche so much. But as far as like preparing a space to really just dive into one thing, and this is so silly, but going back to little decisions, I used to hold back from like full, like reckless creativity because I didn't want to get my clothes dirty, which is like kind of silly to say out loud. And I realized I, that was like a very small, like pebble in my shoe that I was like, ah, screw this. Let's go to Goodwill. Let's spend 10 bucks and let's get clothes to get messed up. So I grabbed a few clothes and I'm painting again. And I still notice myself out of habit being delicate with them. And I remember just picking up my brush and being like, Megan, let's have fun. And so I actually, this is so embarrassing. I can probably like point out the strokes on my now paint covered smocks. I remember making marks on my body being like, these are play clothes, like get out of your own way. And I feel like there's a lot of things people have that they almost like they, they hold themselves back. For instance, get your phone out of your room, get it out of your studio. That will force you to create differently, create aesthetically, which no, like you don't see kids making sure their aesthetics on point before they scribble away. Like, no. Social media, don't touch it. I think once you're done creating, you can always reintroduce a camera and go around and take little snapshots when the day is done. And then even work. I really try to only check my email once a day, which sounds so obnoxious, but I don't want that in my mind. Even with my music, going back to like the words that you listen to affect the way you create. And my, my work is like, I want it to be really uplifting in people's houses. And there's like certain playlists that I might listen to when I work out and like need a really good, you know, pump session. But I would not introduce that into my studio because my work might look a little different. I don't, <laughs> don't want that. So I guess those would be my overall notes of like creating a safe space. Similar to how when a child is playing, you cover electrical sockets. What are your electrical sockets, your dangers, the things that will take you out of playtime in your room? Remove those distractions, remove that harm, and make in a safe space. I love that analogy so much, especially as a mom. I'm like, oh, I can get that one. But I also love that you talked about this pebble in your shoe. And I think I look at my own life and I make little things really big. Like, okay, so we live in a pretty small space. We live in about 970 square feet with four people. And at the time, I did not have a studio space that I felt like I could create in. I had a place I have my inventory, but not like a place to really beautify and create. I'm like, well, I just can't do that because we don't have enough space. If I was to create a space, it would be literally in our dining room. And that was a pebble. And I had to be like, you know what? But this is important to you. So how can you make it work? How can you make a space that still flows into the kitchen, but is beautiful? And so I had, for a time, I made a really beautiful nook and it just was one little pebble. And I think it's really common for us to think, 
Like I'm holding myself back because I don't want to get messy. Okay, well, what can you do to fix that? Okay, well, I can't do this because of this. And I would love to hear if you have any more thoughts on how do we get out of our own way with these tiny little pebbles that really are not that big of a deal that we tend to make a big deal. You know, it's funny because with my mentees, I feel like they make these pebbles into boulders because I think they're actually afraid of a clear path. Like I think because if they were to admit to themselves that there's really nothing blocking them and then they go forward and fail, then they have no more excuse. Yes. But for me, I just think that's so silly because I'm like, there's no such thing as failure when it comes to creativity. It's all exploration. Like some way you might look at my little, my first few canvases of a collection, my willies, if you will, they might be like, that looks what? Like that's your failure. And like, no, no, no. I was just getting started. Like that's the warm up, you know, like we're having fun. So I feel like people are really, really afraid to have the courage to make with abandon. I think it freaks them out. What if they clear out all of their distractions, they put their splatter on a canvas and they look at their spiritual reflection in front of them and they're afraid of what they see. I think that's what people are really, really afraid of. I think we feel so good. This is silly. I think we feel better about failing because we had something to blame it on. Yes. Than risking the possible success with open skies ahead. And to that, I'm like, open up those dang wings and swan dive, baby. Like, fly. (laughs) Just go for it. Who cares if you have a few false starts? That's half of the fun. People need to stop taking themselves so seriously. And actually... A little thing I would always tell myself when I first started painting and I had snafus. Oh my gosh, I finally got the courage to send out my first email blast to 500 people and I misspelled your in the subject line. <laughs> the right? worst. The worst. And At I least to me. I'm like, no. <laughs> truly, I was so upset about it for two seconds. And then I thought to myself, and this is the thing I say to myself all the time. I say, ah, just another chapter in the memoir. And I laugh about it and I move on. Nobody wants a clean, straight path storyline. Those are never the interesting ones. Let it be a part of the memoir. Laugh, have those false starts, get rid of those pebbles because between you and me, they actually don't exist. And start making with abandon. Have fun with it. If I'm being really honest with myself and vulnerable, I enjoy that control of like staying small and to see the pebble as the boulder because it's comfortable. And sometimes I have to ask myself, why are you liking staying here? Why is this comforting to you? Why do you like playing small? Why do you keep holding yourself back? Because it's like you said, it's like a real vulnerable moment to go, wow, you actually like it here because it's comfortable. And if you went out and you somehow failed, then somehow You have nothing to blame it on. There's no excuse. (laughs) So I just had to go there because I'm like, ooh, that hit right to the heart because I am there more often than I'd like to admit. Mm -hmm. And I think we all are. And to tie it back to this whole childhood thing and your childlike spirit, when you see kids on a playground interacting and playing, imagine you're one of the children and the other children, those are business opportunities. They're podcast invitations. They are art galleries that you want to reach out to. 
if you see a kid walk up to another kid and they're like, Hey, do you want to play with me? Most times they say yes. If another child says no, the other kid goes, okay. And they walk away and go up to another kid and say, Hey, you want to play with me? And then they go and have the time of their life. Kids don't have the same amount of shame that we have learned to take on. They really just taught about having fun, doing their best, introducing themselves and making friends on the playground. And that all goes back to this whole idea, tap into your inner child, go make some friends. And there is no such thing as failure except for the pebbles that you create for yourself. So I hope that this like resonates with somebody out there in the interwebs because this is something that has transformed my business and I hope it does it for somebody as well. Well, I'm sure it will. And if people want to continue to follow your work and just find you online, where can they do that? Absolutely. So first and foremost, I'm on Instagram. That is the best place to go see my most up-to-date work. If you want to join me during my escapades around New York City, you can also find me on TikTok. Both of them is just at Meg Indy, I-N-D-Y. And oh, the last thing that I covet, I love so much. My newsletter, it comes out once in a blue moon, but when it arrives, it is like an invitation into my diary. And I would love to welcome anyone that's interested to hop on the email list and be a part of that ride with me. I would love to do that. So I will definitely be signing up. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for being on the podcast today. This was such a refreshing conversation and one that just instills a lot of hope. So thanks again for being here today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Here are the key takeaways from today's episode. Our childhood has a way of shining light on our natural interests. And sometimes we just need to revisit the past to remind ourselves of what those things were. To come into what Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, describes as an artist state, write a list of things that remotely catch your interest, set aside a chunk of time throughout your week that is completely protected, and go explore these things and play. Then let these experiences help influence your creativity. You have permission to make ugly art and to make a mess. When people look at your artwork, they glean the process. As artists, we need to be cautious of not only thinking about the end result, but also turn our attention to the process, how we enter into our creativity, and to be mindful of our emotional energy. What does your inner child love? What activities lights up your inner child? What decisions are you making to embrace your inner freedom to do and enjoy what you want without worrying about others' opinions of you? How are you protecting your very essence? A vision board can be a great tool for goal setting. Creating something that you can physically see of what you want your life to look like can be helpful to align your decisions to it. Your life's work depends on these very tiny decisions that you make every day. Sometimes we can make pebbles into boulders because we are actually afraid of a clear path. What would your life look like if you started making with abandon? How are you currently feeling comfortable in having your conceived boulders in your life? And lastly, ask yourself this question. What if those barriers don't actually exist? Thanks again for listening to the Tillage Podcast. It brings me so much joy knowing that you spent your very precious time with me here today. 
If you want more, head on over to thetillagepodcast.com for today's show notes. And I'll be back next week with another episode.